welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. Here we talk about everything healthcare and technology, and I'm your host, James Somaru. Hey everybody, so my guest this week is Neelan Patel, and she is MedCity's CEO, responsible for leading the team in operations, driving the strategy, and relationships with key stakeholders and funders. Neelam's also the lead for clinical trials, supporting companies seeking clinical and research expertise and collaborations, and she has extensive experience, which you're going to hear about, in pharma, R&D, the NIHR, and uh, lots of strategy and improvement. So, MedCity is the cluster organisation for the world-leading health and life sciences sector in London and the greater southeast of England. Set up in 2014 by the Mayor of London and the Academic Health Science Centres in the region to drive growth and investment in the sector for health and wealth of the population. They are a convener, they are a connector, they're a catalyst, they identify opportunities and pathways for businesses, startups, researchers to all work together with healthcare to develop and commercialise the best innovations. They're a non-for-profit and they're funded by the GLA, which is the Greater London Authority and Research England too. So I hope you enjoy this one with Neelam. Neelam, welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. How are you doing this morning? Really well, thank you, James. Yes, very good. Good. You've just been telling me about your lovely view into your garden this morning, haven't you? Indeed, although it's a bit grey this morning, but it is nice to look out into green as opposed to my curtain, which is what faces me normally (laughs) on video. (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, this is the advantage of not necessarily doing this on video, which is ideal. Um, Yeah, so whereabouts are you speaking to us from today, Nina? Uh, I'm in Twickenham, actually, Um, leafy Twickenham, uh, where the rugby is, but actually I'm not a rugby follower, so... uh, unfortunately it's not something that i can uh, take <laughs> just there for the scenery of. i suppose indeed, indeed. yes <laughs> nice that's my neck of the woods obviously down uh, southwest anyway um so yeah the way we start these podcasts Neelam, is that i get you to tell your story so um yeah I, I know you've got a fascinating background and we also know each other from when i was at the digital london accelerator yeah. and you were on the mm. board there too um so we go way back but yeah mm-hmm. I'd, obviously your story starts a long time even before that so uh, yeah by all means why don't you tell us bit of your story. Absolutely. I'm delighted to. So uh, having listened to a few of your podcasts, James, it, uh, you know, it was interesting that uh, some of my background actually mirrors a, a few of your previous guests in that oh, it's, not, it's not directly linear. And actually, my, my family came to the UK when I was about five. So I'm a first generation immigrant and um, didn't actually know how to speak English when I started school, which wow. was a bit, a bit of a culture shock, actually, but quite enjoyed uh, learning how to uh, read and speak English through the, the, the nursery books of <laughs> Jack and Jill or Jack and Jane, Absolutely. I can't remember now. Um, and, uh, and it's been an interesting sort of journey for me, uh, largely because I had quite strict parents who didn't really allow me to party and go out. And I was the youngest of five girls. And my father said something to me, which was, which sort of resonated really. And uh, he said, uh, Neelam, whatever you do, uh, go into science because that's where the jobs are. And, nice. um, and I thought to myself, I, th- I think I was in secondary school at the time. And I did think to myself, well, actually choosing GCSEs, I actually quite like art and home economics and needlework. And I'm quite a crafty person. And it was, it was a bit of a, choice for me to let go of some of the uh, you know the arts yeah. 
Um, but I, I thought, well, okay, I'll follow his advice. <laughs> I, w- I, d- I wouldn't say my children would do the same now, I have to say. <laughs> but Indeed. I followed his advice and um, ended up doing biomedical sciences at university um, and uh, had my first job as a bench researcher at Barts, actually, uh, which mm-hmm. was fascinating, um, but left sort of shortly after, largely because large pharma beckoned um, and joined Glaxo um, in a, a role which uh, is, is I, I guess, as closely related to, to data science as, as it would be now, but yeah. it was really uh, working in clinical development and looking at uh, coding of um, the pa- patient data as it came in from the clinical trials. So it was an interesting sort of role. And uh, but I progressed on from that um, doing a variety of things actually in, in GSK. So in, in drug safety, farm provisions at the time. Um, and it was a, you know, it was an interesting field because when you're working in a pharmaceutical company, uh, the function of pharmacovisions, which is about safety of your clinical and marketed products, isn't exactly very popular when you're looking at a commercial business. You know, you don't want somebody mm. telling you that, um, uh, you know, you shouldn't be uh, putting that drug on the market because the safety signals aren't good enough. Um, but actually, it's, a, it's a, po- a really positive thing because what you're doing is making sure that what you have on the market is incredibly safe and effective. And it's early warning signals, which, um, in fact, is hugely important for the company. Um, so, uh, you know, there's a lot to learn there. And um, I, I did a variety of operational sort of leadership jobs there and then um, left to join Lilly, which was an interesting transition because um, uh, Glaxo and I went through a couple of mergers there. So left when it was Glaxo, welcome. Um, being a UK-based company, moving on to Lilly, which is a US-headquartered company, was was a really interesting sort of cultural change where many of the decisions were made in the US. Um, yeah. And, you know, the UK subsidiaries and the UK R&D sort of needed to implement at the time as opposed to really develop the strategy. However, that sort of, that's sort of started to change um, I was still in farm collisions. We developed a European headquarters for, for safety because it was re- a requirement to do that. And I did a variety of things there, really, in terms of um, uh, being responsible for um, Europe and Asia Pacific in terms of safety reporting operationally. Um, and then interestingly, moved into HR after that. And that oh, was. Wow. A- <laughs> That was a, a, an interesting move for me. And when I guess when I was in the pharmaceutical industry, which is um, sort of a few years ago now, um, unless you're a medic, um, the sort of ceiling comes quite rapidly uh, and uh, it becomes functional moves rather than sort of more senior positions um, in, from a clinical point of view anyway. And that was at the time when I was there. And for me, it made a lot, lot of sense to have um, functional leadership roles where I grew a breadth of experience. Yeah. And HR was amazing, really, for me. It was one of the import- most important roles that I did um, because it gave me a huge sort of commercial insight into the business, uh, strategy, people, uh, supporting, um, supporting European medical and marketing at the time. Uh, and it just gave a, another view of the business that I, I really didn't have 
being in a sort of clinical and, and uh, you know, regulatory sure. environment. Um, so I moved on from there um, and was asked to lead clinical operations actually for the UK um, at Lilly uh, because of some, some huge sort of, uh, I guess, external changes that were put upon the industry at the time. Uh, you know, the blockbusters were, were no longer there, really. Um, there was a lot of mergers, acquisitions, licensing yeah. in, out. The business fundamentally was changing and in how we were managing our clinical trials needed to change also. So uh, I was responsible to uh, really shift that from a UK point of view and develop uh, partnerships with CROs, for example, yeah. um, outsource things, um, our trial portfolios, uh, but still maintain, uh, you know, the integrity of what we were about as a, as a, a largely, you know, um, research-based organization. Um, and I, I then went on to manage um, Northern Europe trials as well. Uh, and then I had a really interesting stint at that point in time because my nature is sort of naturally curious and I was just fascinated by the public sector. And one of the things that I'd been asked to do while I was at uh, uh, managing UK operations was be industry representative on various cross-collaborative groups, including with the ABPI, Department of Health, um, and also across Europe to push forwards um, you know, some of the barriers that companies were facing and, you know, the country was facing in growing more clinical research within, um, uh, you know, within, within the country. And uh, many of the barriers were down to um, slow to set up, for example, you know, a lot of bureaucracy, perhaps um, inconsistent costing, mm -hmm. uh, inconsistent sure. management of how contracting was done across geography. And not dissimilar, actually, to what we're seeing with digital, probably. Yeah, I was going to say, um, yeah, sounds and, familiar. Uh, and, and so that sort of opportunity uh, meant that, you know, across organizations, we could put forward tools, resources and guidance to streamline how that works, really to attract more industry research. And I really enjoyed that. And um, I thought, well, it would be great to do some more work in the public sector, uh, got, was seconded on to the National Institute of Health Research to lead a national program to streamline um, setup processes actually within the NHS for clinical research, which was a huge eye opener. So I'm also a, a Lean Six Sigma green belt, and that was an opportunity to do some service improvement type of work um, across disciplines. Uh, and much of um, much of what I did actually was put a mirror up um, to. Uh, the players within the NIHR to say, well, actually, this is this is the view of industry, and this is how we do things. So, surely, from a collaborative point of view, uh, if we're setting up a clinical trial, we shouldn't have to go through lots of expert panels to review that research protocol again, for example, because we've already worked with experts in developing that protocol. So, just asking really. Yeah. critical questions to and that is the value of having diverse experience across lots of different players in a mm. in a space i think you know I, that really resonates with me actually because that's what i've tried mm. to do even as a doctor shadowing managers and shadowing chief execs and the rest of it but then even once i got out of medicine it was then you know how many different types of organizations can i possibly work with and that was yeah. when i obviously went to the accelerator and and obviously accelerator sit in the middle of an ecosystem so you end up with this empathy for all the different sides but i completely yeah. see your point that you know if you spend so much time in a pharma company what better place to go to next 
than somewhere that deals with and benefits from working with pharma companies because then you truly understand it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I don't know about you, James, and I'm sure sort of you've experienced it as well, but I mean, you can come into a meeting room and you can be sort of saying something. And I I sort of often found myself, well, people looking at me thinking, what the hell is she talking about? (laughs) And and I think it is just that different perspective. And I I guess some of the learning for me and and perhaps the same for you is you just have to... um, be confident in what you're saying is, yeah. is coming. Fight uh, the imposter from, syndrome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. From the knowledge that you have, which no one else will have because they've not had that same path. It's so true. Um, so that's what I say all the time to you know to people that mm. might be struggling with a speaking engagement, or, you know, something like that. It's just at the end of the day, just speak from your own experience. Like you have done all these things, you have got a right to an opinion, and so yeah. you're more than welcome to give it, and that's okay. And I, I completely agree. It takes, um, I think, a bit. It t- takes a bit of time just to to grow that confidence. I think, and I, yeah. I, I mean, for me, and I, maybe it's for you as well, and others, is uh, if you can see the impact of some of that um, being quite, uh, you know, a visual person, uh, then it, it just drives that confidence. So, Definitely. I mean, that that project led to some really important changes in how the NIHR um, worked in supporting industry to. Um, deliver studies and to me that was pivotal and I do remember uh, a, a a meeting that I was at at the end of that project where I was on a panel and uh, we were introducing this new program um, to industry and other stakeholders and there was one comment from the floor from um, somebody uh, saying well, you know, uh, the, the service requires you to um, create an account and a password. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it's hard work, they said, to remember all these accounts and la, la, la. And it was yeah. a, a bit sort of derogatory. And and I sort of reflected back to say, well, you know, everybody seems to have an Amazon account. And they don't <laughs> complain about that. And I think it's it's partly around convenience and making things accessible and easy for people. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so yeah. So it was for me. It was an opportunity to really um, bring something that was a, a bit in the dark ages right into modern times. Yeah. Um, change make impact. Good. Sure. So, so yeah. So that that's a, a bit of you know what I've been doing in pharma and then um, and and public sector and and just decided to take that uh, experience further and and do some consultant consulting with uh, other um, organisations like Chelsea and Westminster Health Charity because I really wanted to give something back to that sector and uh, and was involved in actually my first. Um, my sort of first experience with digital, um, where uh, the, the charity was really wanting to um, set up a, a funded program to drive innovation coming in from clinicians at the trust. And this is this will be your bag, um, James, as well uh, from your background. <laughs> and this, I mean, this is about probably seven years ago. And I thought, yeah, okay, I could do that. Oh my gosh, <laughs> is that hard? I mean. I mean, clinicians doing their day job in treating patients and giving care as well as innovating is just was just impossible or was impossible. Um, and, uh, you know, it was it was really hard to um, just uh, give time, I think, to clinicians and practitioners and health professionals within the trust to 
to put their really good experience in in thinking about problems and how to solve them. They had all of the ideas, but but actually, you know, what makes a <laughs> they're good too busy experiencing <laughs> the problems to to solve yeah. them to solve them. I I mean that that literally is it. And I I I completely hear what you're saying in terms of you just think, oh yeah, I'll get involved in digital health and I'll just digitize everything and I'll help all these amazing companies who mm. have these great products and I'll just get them in because I've got expert. And it just is not that straightforward. And CW Plus are good at it as well. And you know, yeah. probably because you were there in like six years ago. But, but um, yeah, it's it's not an easy gig. No, no. But I mean, there were, there were some great ex- examples that came up uh, into being funded by the charity. I, I, the issue was how to scale them then outside yeah. of the trust. Uh, of course, which is an, an issue that we we know. But I, I mean, it was fantastic work and gave me a really good insight as to the, the grassroots issues that there can be in innovating in the, in, in the NHS, which um, really brought me to MedCity, I would say, um, uh, because of, uh, you know, I like to be a problem solver and uh, I like to think about how we can simplify the ecosystem and make things work to enable growth, actually, yeah. uh, which is some, you know, some of what I've, I've done in my previous jobs and I saw it firsthand in terms of digital innovation. And MedCity was created um, really just to, to do that, to, to grow the, life, the health and life science sector. Um, it, it was uh, originally and still is funded by the Greater London Authority, also funded by Research England. Um, and building on the excellence that there is within uh, the geography that we serve, how, how to continue uh, to have businesses invest in that to grow the cluster to the economy of the UK is fundamentally what MedCity is, is about. Um, and, uh, you know, there are various parameters. I mean, it, it, it's, it's broad. I'd started MedCity again with uh, my experience in terms of uh, research um, clinical development and how to support businesses navigate their way through the landscape to develop the research collaborations that they need. Uh, And, you know, colleagues within the team, uh, we were very small and still are a small team, um, also did the same with space and infrastructure, for example, you know, how to lead companies to um, invest, uh, to to develop R&D hubs, where is the right place to go, um, and also how to make sure that planners and developers on the ground know uh, how to, to develop space for R&D, what are the right types of labs, what's the demand. You know, all of those things require sort of brokering and expertise to a level that you just don't ordinarily get yeah. because life sciences is so sort of, you know, specific, if you like. Um, so it was a, a really interesting organization to, to join in its um, sort of early setup. Uh, and, um, and yeah, so uh, um, from my early days to now, I, I, I guess that common thread of um, tuning in with companies, understanding the demand, but using relationships um, that we have on the ground to simplify the ecosystem to allow that growth has, has been pretty much, uh, you know, the, the, the thread of our operation. Um, and I mean, some examples would be, uh, at least for me personally, um, where we and where we were working with the Digital Health London Accelerator, James, and mm. uh, you know, seeing some of the issues that digital companies were having in. Um, innovating was largely down to or or some of it down to 
lack of clarity on evidence um, and what is needed from the NHS to show that their technology yeah, is useful. safe effective, um, creates impact. And, uh, you know, that, that sort of barrier led to uh, some of the work that, that I then led uh, for the accelerator of the Digital London on, uh, on evidence generation, um, which, which then helped me uh, you know, create connections and, and bridge um, uh, you know, bridge this to to folks like Nice and NHS England and, and NHS X, whose ultimate goal is to enable technologies to to be safe and effective for the NHS. And therein, then, sort of uh, led to a number of initiatives. One of them being some uh, work where Nice developed the the Nice Evidence uh, Framework. For effectiveness. Oh and, yeah, and that, I saw that. Ping that to all the companies that I knew. It was like, here you yeah. go, finally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it, it. I mean, I have to say, it was a bit of a game changer, really, because all of a sudden, from it being very nebulous to being reasonably clear as to the benchmarks, and in some well, no, ways, clear for the people that need. I suppose listening that didn't didn't see it or don't know about it or might be from other countries. Basically, I mean, from my perspective, anyway, as you say the requirement for evidence of digital health companies was so nebulous. It, it, mm. Nobody knew what they needed to do. Do you need a randomized controlled trial? If so, that's impossible. What about if I just say that it works at the other end? Well, that's not possible either. So yeah. we, the, we all needed some sort of way of saying, okay, if you're this type of company, this is the amount of evidence you need. You might need this sort of trial or this sort of, the, you know, whatever it is. Um, yeah. And I think when that guidance came out, it was, it, I mean, I can, we can almost remember the page number because I just I sent it around <laughs> to everyone. Have a look at page whatever it was. Here's the table that you need, and it was just like all the different types of digital health companies, which for a start was was really good because people yeah. could actually categorise themselves in terms of okay, we're this type, we're a, you know class two A medical device, therefore we need, and we're software as medical device, but therefore we need this and we need this and we need this, and it was just laid out so nicely in a table. Um, yeah. Which, as you yeah. say, was just so easy for people like me that know lots of startups to just be like, by the way, guys, put this in your deck and just say what you're doing now and what you're going to do in future. Done. So, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, made a lot of sense to, to do that piece of work. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I think the earlier, you know, innovators uh, know what is required, the better it is for everybody, isn't it? It just saves Correct. time and money. Um, and uh, and I think the other thing is, is that particularly if innovators are going for investment, it, it just gives a, an idea of what sort of investment you're looking for as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. But also gives in investors some level of confidence that actually Precisely. this company is going to go ahead and, and do what's needed. So yeah. it works on all counts, I think. And just just hot off the press, I would say, James, is that um, the evidence standards uh, are, are being revised at the moment for them to map uh, with the MDR, um, the medical oh, device cool. regulations. Oh, cool, yeah, because those well. regs have changed, haven't they? Yeah, so um, so I guess watch you know watch this space, which will make it much clearer. I think again for innovators, so that they don't have to uh, refer to two sets of terminology. Nice. Um, so yeah, so that's that was an important bit of work, I think, from our point of view, um, and continues to be important to simplify the ecosystem. Very cool. So I suppose Med City then 
if you if you're going to summarize what Med City is and what Med City does, I mean, I would call it an ecosystem player, and you're connecting academia to startups to the NHS. I mean, I probably know that because because <laughs> you sat on our board at Digital Health London, so I had yeah. to be versed in that. Is that what you guys are mm-hmm. still now? Is that how you would define yourselves now? We absolutely are, yes, and and that, and actually, it is interesting. So, um, apart from um, you know the pandemic has sort of made a lot of people sort of rethink their trajectory and, and where they're going. Yeah. And I, I think for me, um, we started off sort of labeling ourselves as a bit of a front door to businesses, you know, to, to helping them navigate, to help them connect. Um, and in, in some respects that, that very much still is. Um, and uh, th- because businesses just have had to pivot, haven't they, in terms of what they wanted uh, to do um, uh, re-establishing or making new connections becomes even more important. So I, I think that's absolutely still what we do. Uh, some of what we do that is is hidden, I would say, is exactly what I've been talking about in terms of simplifying the ecosystem yeah. and making connections um, on the ground. So, you know, we often talk about demand and supply, right? And um, so we absolutely are connected to businesses to understand demand. Um, what people don't necessarily see is that we also work at the supply side to ensure connectivity and, and to make sure that the players within the ecosystem understand the demand and understand the, the, the challenges and barriers so that we can shift to address that. And that's you know, particularly the case in, in space development, so infrastructure development where uh, you know, we're seeing now perhaps uh, you know, companies are, are not wanting to come back into the geography in the same way that they have done before. So what happens to that space, right? And um, uh, you know, MedCity are important to act as a bit of a barometer, I think, to authorities and agencies that work you with that You do have space. your finger on the pulse, right, from lots of different yeah. angles. So, you know, it, it's, it can then be repositioning and, and, and sort of changing the landscape. So it, it, it's future proof, you know, so that yeah. we can respond. Um, and that's a really important role that we play that I think is, is, is not, not seen perhaps in the same way as, as it is for us being a, a sort of front door to companies. Yeah, it's a lot easier to say you're a front door to companies and then loads of companies approach you and you direct them accordingly. It's a bit it's a bit easier to explain, but obviously the value in what you guys are doing is being so well connected to academia, to the startup world, to the NHS and, and the healthcare side that I imagine as lots of good innovators do, even as individuals, you know, you do a lot of listening. And, you, and as you say, yeah. you, you can then connect the supply and demand because you're dealing with all sides of the coin there in terms of the academia that's going to drive the research, which is going to drive the new innovation, but then similarly the companies that are commercializing it, but also the people that are demanding it, i.e. the healthcare side. Yeah. So that is the value. And I suppose... You've mentioned obviously the the front door to companies being being one one way of explaining what you do, but actually the value being being in everything that you do. What other programs have you guys got going on that kind of harness that ability for you to connect to everybody? Um, so we've had um, a few programs that have um, sort of been developed really to address some of the, the market failures and barriers that companies see. So one of them has um, been. Um, uh, where companies are looking for early seed funding. And so we have a large angel investment community and a program that we run, um, MedCity Angels, brings together 
uh, SMEs particularly that are looking for early stage funding with angel investors that are looking also to invest. Um, and that's been a program that's been uh, running now for uh, a number of years. We've supported 80 companies through pitching wow. events. So we do... Um, support companies that uh, perhaps are new to pitching to review their pitch decks to give them some coaching around that we're selective as to the sorts of companies that we bring on because um, perhaps not everybody are at the stage that they need to be but more importantly what we also do well not more importantly but as important is uh, just make make sure that the value of investing in life sciences, health and life sciences is, is really understood within our investor community. Um, and so we do run workshops to uh, just raise awareness of, of trends. So for example, we have uh, an event coming up um, in um, November, I think it is, um, uh, really uh, targeted to investors in advanced therapies. So uh, we home in on some of the key strengths of the region, advanced therapies being one, digital data and AI being another. And around some of these core strengths, we like to really uh, showcase some of the trends to investors so that they know what, what they're looking for, I guess, um, and, and what is, is coming up to get them better informed and, and bring some more confidence to their, um, uh, you know, their choices in investment. Uh, so that's something that, that we do. Um, just on, just on that before you, before you name it, other amazing mm-hmm. programs <laughs> like that one, I really like that because obviously the, the way that sectors in general are going to be pushed forward, or at least one of the major ways is injection of capital. And obviously with something like life sciences, where the companies and what they're doing, the science behind it can often be extremely complex. Uh It's obviously a barrier to lots of high net worth individuals to actually enter a sector like life sciences, Uh because whilst the rewards might be great, the risk is greater when you don't know much about the sector. And by the way, you might be, you might have a life sciences background and still be less confident in investing because it's just an area of the sector you don't understand. And so actually to educate the investors is not something really I'd thought about before until I saw your program, actually, that it is a way of therefore driving the knowledge within the sector, but also to drag in previously, you know, people that wouldn't have invested that then turn into investors. So actually in terms of doing a service for the life sciences sector, I think that border between the people that are investing and the people that aren't investing, you're increasing the the pool of people that are that yeah. are investing, which actually, and you're giving them the confidence by using your knowledge to then to, yeah. to kind of uh, you know shortlist the companies, longlist the companies, and 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 then give give the investors the tools to make those decisions going forward. So I think. Yeah, I, I wonder if that happens in other sectors. Obviously, I, I know I know healthcare, and I know your program. I don't know any other yeah. programs like it, but it's it's um, it seems to be a, a really interesting one for me. Yeah, I, I mean, you're you're absolutely right, and I think one of the challenges of uh, in, investing in in health and life sciences is it, it's it's a long game, isn't it? Um, and I yeah. think that's that's the thing. It's that the returns aren't necessarily in the same time frame as there are <laughs> yeah, in other gonna, sectors. You're not going to cash out very uh, very soon when you're building vaccines and things like yeah, that. Yeah, well, I mean, for sure. So so I think that that, that reassurance is, is important. And um, I mean, one of the things that we also have, have done um, 
is uh, uh, you know Joanne who leads our investment hub um, program. Um, she's really worked hard at curating sort of deep relationships with our investor community, yeah. and, and we have sort of you know over four hundred VCs in our in our network, uh, where uh, you know they uh, get our sort of insights as to the sorts of companies that are coming up, and and we are then able to share insights on investor interests back yeah. to the company so and trends really, as you say which then yeah, gives them more confidence exactly. that they know that you've got your finger on the pot yeah I, I get it absolutely so i mean when james you talked about programs sometimes it's sort of more than programs because it then also results in communities this and networks um which is really valuable so so yeah, so that's the angel program. Then uh, another program um, is uh, centered around uh, giving SMEs the opportunities to access research expertise through um, collaboration. So Collaborate to Innovate is, is another program where, um, again, a, a you know, a barrier to innovation has been previously seen and still is seen that SMEs just find it quite difficult to understand who, which sort of PI or, or researcher they can they can work with, and, and as we know, particularly for digital, it really helps to have some clinical and academic backing um, early on uh, to help uh, you know development. So, so this program sort of um, uh, match makes, if you like, uh, the right companies with the right researchers with our academic partners, uh, um, the four universities that in London that are partnered with us on, on this. Um, and we have done three programs, actually, uh, well, um, four programs. Um, hmm. One of them focused on advanced therapies, as, as I mentioned, is a, a key area. Another one has been broad, as, as including digital uh, one actually with the Stroke Association, so our partners being um, uh, the charity there in oh, uh, 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 providing the funding for us to, to go and then match make the, the relevant SMEs uh, for, for innovations that then tackle stroke habilitation, rehabilitation. So that's been very good. Um, and uh, another one with, with Baxter actually that was looking more at their pipeline development uh, mm. for a certain technology. So it, it's a similar sort of concept, but again, tries to bring the right uh, company with the right researcher to yield a, you know, a, a completed project and, and then further funding and further development, which we've seen for many of the companies that have been through it. And obviously the accelerator, dipping your toe into digital health as Indeed. well as life sciences. Still going strong since I left? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Thriving and since I left. <laughs> well, no, not at all. I think you, you seeded many of the good ideas there, James, I, I would say. Um, yeah, and, and it, it has, I mean, the great th's about the accelerator is that it, it sort of changed, I think, uh, in terms of the types of companies that have been on, so, yeah. you know, from smaller to... Moving to, later to stage, definitely. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but also it's got a launchpad program for some of the early stage, pro, um, early stage companies and also, uh, latterly, um, a, a program called The Generator, which focuses on um, giving the companies that are going through the accelerator the opportunity uh, again to work with research partners and academics to generate some level of evidence to support yeah. their journey um, so that's that's been pretty cool as well uh, so yeah still going strong absolutely and we're still a key player in that very nice and so before we move on because i know you mentioned Baxter and and bringing in the sort of big investors i definitely want to talk about that in the in the current climate but um 
there's obviously lots of different types of of people and companies that can get in touch with you from from the sound of things you know digital health companies whether it's for the accelerator investors for your angels program mm-hmm. startups for your angels program what is the best way for for people to sort of get in touch with you and, and have i missed any groups out there that, that can get in touch with Med city um well we're I, th- I think you've captured the you know majority cool. of them really um the best way to get in touch with us uh, well is through our website so there are many sort of avenues there to contact us so i guess one of the things just to note there um is we recently uh, have published an interactive uh, innovation map if you like which is centered uh, around covid-19 and one of the things that we were seeing is that there was a whole lot of innovation that was being done across uh, areas such as vaccines treatments diagnostics data and ai and genomics um, and you know one of the things that we do is is just bring some visibility to the external world around the innovation that is going on that is is largely sort of collaborative so london and geography um, with international companies, with national companies, with other academic institutions. It's really gives the opportunity to um, showcase some of what's going on to enable further collaboration and, and investment. So one of the ways that uh, you know folks can get in touch with us is, is through that map itself uh, and to see whether there's some interest there in being included. I can't promise everybody will be included, but um, it, it's, it's a way like our MedCity map, which actually maps companies in health and life sciences within the region to also get themselves sort of known and out there. So, um, so yeah. And for the people listening, I've, so this map, I've got it in front of me now. It is outrageously detailed. Like it is so good that you can make yourself look very clever because there are two and a half, over two and a half thousand companies on, on the, the wider map as well as the COVID-19. Yeah. Map. Um, and just with their locations and there's a little map here that I can see everybody and, you know, the, the first page doesn't even get beyond A B. So there's a there's quite a lot of, yeah, quite a lot of companies extensive. on there, which is which is awesome. Um, and so if there's and and it's it's got the sector, it's got the segment within the sector, it's got whether they're an active company or not. So yeah, in, incredible incredible resource. Um, yeah, goodness, I hate put that together. But that is that is incredible. But the next question that I've got for you, Elon, while while I've got you here, is is about the investment landscape. It's obviously something mm. that you are very close to with Med City, as as we talked about already, you know, it's the way that that capital's being injected and therefore the sector's being pushed forwards. With COVID-19, with lots of doom and gloom type stuff that's been happening in the UK recently, not to mention Brexit of all things and all that sort of mm. stuff. I mean, mm. there's lots of uncertainty, there's lots of fear. What has been your view of what's been going on in the investor landscape when it comes to life sciences, digital health and yeah, I guess who is investing and, and, and what advice do you have for startups? There's probably a thousand questions in there, but, um, <laughs> talk to me about that stuff. Um, yeah. So I, I mean, I think you've summarized it really well, James. I, and the one word is uncertainty, isn't it? Yeah. And I, I think that that's the one word that everybody has been talking about. Um, I guess when we were going into it uh, or going into the pandemic, well, Brexit as well, it, it's really not knowing, um, you know, where companies were, what, what their sentiment was around the geography. We were very confident that obviously the excellence is still here. The capabilities are still here, regardless of, of Brexit or anything else. Um, and, and actually, we've just talked about the COVID-19 map. I mean, you can see a, a lot of the innovations that are now being 
being used nationally and internationally um, for treatment and vaccines have originated from, from yep. the region. So um, nothing is really going to take that away. Uh, and I guess, you know, the confidence that, that we have in uh, folks like Merck that have invested $1 billion in developing their R&D landscape and, and now more recently GSK in opening their AI hub um, in King's Cross just reinforces that, I think, uh, to me um, and to us in the sector that, um, uh, you know, regardless of, of these challenges, uh, the, the strengths are still there and people are, are still wanting to invest. Um, so, I, you know, I, I think for me, just just having these big players um, sort of putting their money where their mouth is. And, and we've been working quite closely with Merck actually very early on in their decision making around um, around location. Um, I, I think is is great for all of the people that, that you know all of the segments that you've um, talked about. So investors, absolutely. Um, the, the SMEs, because having some of that R and D development going on, uh, the AI hub, for example, really brings more opportunities for collaborations and jobs. And I mean that is just so hugely important now moving forward. Uh, so it, it it's. For me, it, it's sort of, you know, a very positive move. I, I really hope that this is the trajectory of other things, um, uh, you know, how, how things will be going on now um, beyond the pandemic. And, um, you know, I, I think it brings fresh hope and fresh confidence. And that is a very positive message. And actually it does, it, it you know, it instills confidence, right? In, in this area of uncertainty, it's good to be confident. And I think... By having those big players, the the pharma companies, the Mercs and the Baxters, and and you know those types of companies openly saying that they are investing, openly actually investing, and and you know making a bit of a song and dance about it, it is therefore still giving confidence to the entrepreneurs and the, the mm-hmm. people that are, that are pushing up or creating yeah. that pipeline of companies and ideas and all the rest of it to keep going because obviously the the danger is when people stop investing it's it's less likely that people are going to run with their ideas because there's even more risk for them as individuals and all the rest of it i mean what what advice do you have for those kind of younger companies and entrepreneurs that that are that are probably having a hard time it's probably just that the, the big companies are there right the big investors are still there uh, well, absolutely. And I, and I think, I mean, something that I didn't say that you have just said is uh, we have to remember that the smaller companies are the pipeline. You know, they yeah. are the lifeblood of uh, of the sector. And um, we, we have to support them. We have to uh, support them to grow. And many of the programs I've talked about are, are just about that. Because without them, then, then you don't end up having the big players wanting to come here because uh, a lot of what MedCity is about is cluster development. And clusters take small companies, large companies, investors, service providers, academics, clinicians. That They're all the ingredients of a, a fantastic cluster. And this is what we have. So SMEs are very important. So what, I think what one of the key things to say to SMEs is, persistence you know keep at it mm-hmm. <laughs> um I, I mean it it's easy to say hard to do but uh, <laughs> you know it, like, I, be better you know, <laughs> be well, better and you'll get investment <laughs> keep at, keep, keep, keep going at it. <laughs> <laughs> well keep keep at it i, I think it's it's well it, it's all of the things that we know about and continue to do it so you have to keep researching the market the market is changing yeah. i mean interestingly um 
having spoken to um, uh, you know some health economists, where uh, before the pandemic. Um, innovations uh, had a health economic analysis um, that health economic analysis is, is is different now it should be different because actually the landscape is different what yep. the NHS are purchasing yep. um, how they're purchasing is different you need to go back and review that now and see whether it's still value for money uh, so all of those little things I think is really important to do your homework um, and don't rely on you know some of the particularly the the, the sort of uh, health economic type of data or whatever it is that, yep. that you're using to position your yep. technology. Don't assume it's still the same. Yeah. Uh, so I think that that's an important one to, to think I about. I completely agree, actually. And I think what you've summed up quite nicely there is how to actually tangibly find the opportunity in all this chaos, mm. which is things like look at what's changed and see how it can benefit you. So, for example, what you've said there about the way that purchasing decisions are, go, are, are occurring is changing. The pots of money that are available are changing. The regulations behind certain technologies are changing, which you mentioned, you know, the MDR yeah. stuff. So th- these are the places where the, the most entrepreneurial people will be focused on to then find the opportunity and change what they do and pull the right levers. Because if all, yeah. if all of a sudden, you know, that the regulations changed here, so you can change something in your company, the the pots of money have changed to this therefore mm. you can slightly change your value proposition it's moving with the market to figure out how you can actually sell your products right and i think whilst i can appreciate that is a really probably reductive way of <laughs> looking at like a class to a medical device and selling it in but the the point is is that if you think if you're <clears throat> starting out and looking for those um you know business plans and early ideas and all the rest of mm-hmm. it there are different places to look now and and the opportunity can be found there. Um, yeah, I guess is a good message. for sure. For sure. Yeah. And different relationships that can help you uh, now, yeah. I think, where they weren't before. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. And, and we can certainly help in unearthing some of those relationships. I was going to say, and obviously a, a really good step would be getting involved with, with you guys and getting yourself on the list for Angels in Med City and, and all those different yeah. things. And if you need some research done, getting involved in Collaborate to Innovate. So there's, there's, lo- there's loads of stuff. Uh, that you guys are offering that's clearly of value to, as you say, everybody in the ecosystem. And so, yeah, I definitely encourage everybody to check out the MedCity website. I'll stick it in the description of this episode. <laughs> but um, yeah. yeah, Neil, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Um, the way that we kind of end these podcasts is I just get you to kind of summarize a bit about yourself, a bit about what you do at MedCity, and then to close us out with any asks that you might have of our audience. So by all means, take it away. Um, so, so, I mean, how, how can I summarize that, uh, James? I mean, it's... <laughs> you did well, some farm been... stuff, you, you now do Med City, and, and here's my email. Yeah, that's, there we that's go. That's, yeah, that's <laughs> it. Yeah, well, I mean, as, as Med City CEO, I mean, it, it's, it's a pleasure to lead an organization that is, is diverse and just so to the point in this environment that we are now. Um, Obviously, I've had a, a, a very diverse background, uh, which fits, I think, pretty nicely to the diversity that MedCity operates in. 
in, in terms of how to get in touch with us, we're absolutely um, there to support uh, business growth. Um, we're there to support um, the ecosystem to, to, to move forward and to embrace some of the change, to still make the region a world leader. Um, do get in touch with us via our website. And we'd really like to hear from you if, if you think that we're missing things that we need to know about, because we're all about uh, you know, insights and understanding how uh, the future is uh, evolving. So any great ideas, please do ping them to us. Amazing. Thanks so much, Neelam. Thanks a lot, James. It's been a pleasure. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode. Remember to subscribe, rate us and leave a review. And you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.